Hello and welcome to the Campaign Podcast, powered by Something Else. I'm your host, Claire Beale. I'm the Global Editor-in-Chief of Campaign. And joining me today are Rosie Arnold, the Head of Art at Mead Vickers BBDO, and Nils Leonard, who's just launched his own advertising agency called Uncommon. Our theme today is very loosely based around transformation. Campaign is just launched as a monthly magazine after 49 years as a weekly. Appropriately enough, we've chosen transformation as our theme for the first issue. So I thought it'd be quite a nice thing to talk about today, particularly since you, my two guests, both have undergone something of a transformation in your lives over the last year or so. Particularly, I think right now for you, Nils... It's day two of your new agency. Talk to us a little bit about what Uncommon is all about. There hasn't been enough response to the world as it is, and that's what we're about, really. And if you get a chance to open a company as opposed to inherit one, I think not just our industry, which, by the way, is in trouble because there's a button telling us that the world hates what we make. It's on every piece of entertainment we love called Skip Ad, and no one seems to be responding to that. But I think aside from that, the world is in a really interesting place. And if you're opening a company of any sort these days... I think you have to have a point of view on that and ask yourself where you slot in and if you're going to add to stuff. There's a quote from the head of sustainability at IKEA, which I love, which is, we've reached peak stuff. We have enough things. And I think the same is true of brands. People wouldn't care if three quarters of brands disappeared. So you have to ask yourself, if you're opening anything, no matter what it is, like the people really want you around. And then that's all we've done. And I think that just trying to open something that people in the real world would actually appreciate. You know, I always got really annoyed. There were a couple of agencies in the past, you know, the Saatchi guys did it, but very few agencies that the public knows or recognises or talks about. And the reason for that, I think, is that people just fucking hate what we make. That's a really depressing thought. Is is that enough? So it didn't didn't make you want to just pack your bags and go and do something else entirely. It's given you an appetite to go and... Well, I think we are going to do something else because... Something other than advertising. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And by the way, we're not allergic to advertising. I just think you have to be salient of the world and how it feels when you make it. I'm not saying ads in general are terrible, I think, but most of them are. You know, if you're a brand, all of the ways you can communicate with people now, everything from Netflix's HR document that was famous through to the behaviours of the brand and its CEO and its hiring policy and all those other things, they can say loads about you, far more powerfully than advertising can. How much of that is coming from what clients are telling you they recognise they need to do? I think it's clients and talent, really. Uh, all the best people I know are leaving the industry and they're not going to the Googles and Facebooks like everyone says they are. They're starting their own thing. And they're doing that because they want to matter and be significant and be prolific and be in control. When you're thinking about talent, find a way for them to do that within the confines of, a, of comfort and security. Mm-hmm. And I think with clients, what you're seeing, every meeting you have, they're just remarking on change. It must be terrifying to have inherited a, a massive brand, global brand these days, and suddenly wake up and look at the mix and look at where you are in the world and look at how people feel. You know, it's hard. So this idea of brands that make a difference, brands that we actually really care about. Rosie, does that chime with what you're hearing from your marketing clients? Well, I think it's. I think you're absolutely right, actually. There, are, there is too much stuff. I think, you know, I, I see my kids who are now in their 20s and how they respond to advertising. You know, they don't like being sold to. They don't like the, the way the world has become. They're very conscious of things being sort of pushed at them. And they're much more they're much more sort of socially aware than I think we were growing up. They sort of worry about flying places because of the effect it has on the world. And they worry about, you know, the packaging of things. And I think we have to respond to that. And you can't just keep going out there and forcing stuff 
into people. You know, you, ha- you have to be conscious that however much you tell them this brand is going to change their world or this product's really good for them, they will make their own decision about it. So, you know, we've seen that people care about the ethnicity of brands and that if companies don't produce things correctly and well and treat their people well, people are rejecting them. Is all of this going to make young talent keener to come into our industry, I think, if, if they know that they're going to be making a positive contribution? If people can see that a bunch of clever people in a room all on the same page trying to do something different with a brand, which, by the way, can behave faster than most politicians, more powerfully than most communication networks. You know, brands have so much at their disposal. If people can see that brands are able to make a major difference in the world, and it doesn't necessarily have to just be worthy and good, it can be radically entertaining or it can break problems and all that other stuff, then I think people would love to work in our industry. But most people don't speak about our industry with that level of potential at all. Now, we've gone quite into the, the heavy stuff quite quickly. <laughs> How exciting is it? Day two, that, you must be on a bit of a high, aren't It's you? wicked. I've uh, not really slept much, and I'm going to say some stuff I'm going to regret. I probably don't even remember this podcast in the morning. But <laughs> uh, you walk, you see it all differently, walking down the road in Exmouth Market, looking at the sun on buildings, like a knobhead, just, you know, really feeling amazing. Is because, that because you haven't got any clients yet, though? Uh, well, well, we might have a client. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it's because it's all personal and it all really matters to me and and to you know my partners and um but all the decisions we make are ours and that's a really lovely feeling that must be thrilling it's wicked yeah. rosie does that have you ever been tempted mm, I, uh, uh, well the funny thing is i'm listening to that i am now that's really good. <laughs> <laughs> um i wasn't tempted i think because i worked at bbh so long and I really, really agreed with the principles of BBH. And, you know, I felt, what would I be going to? What, what, what am I kicking against? What, what sort of new place would I want to start when I believed so fundamentally in what John and Nigel and John believed in? And for a long time, I think that model worked so well. And I loved it there. And I felt I was with the most extraordinary people at the most extraordinary time of that agency's life. And there was no real reason to leave. I've started to really, really enjoy helping and nurturing young talent and I feel I'm at AMV now and I'm in a position to do that. We've got lots of junior teams and I've just... Can um, I borrow some? <laughs> Sorry. No. <laughs> no, they're mine. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's, I find that terrifically rewarding. I don't know whether it's just something in me, that nurturing thing. I love doing that. You've just um, welcomed a, a young creative into your home to help yeah, them through yeah. that that's an amazing well, story Tell um, us. so my son moved out at the beginning of the year and i've got a house with a spare room and ali hanan from creative equals and i've been working a lot with her about trying to in- encourage more women into the creative industries and also i feel passionately that we we need to get a cross-section of people from all walks of life um you know from working class and from northern backgrounds and not just london-centric she was asking for help for students who had won scholarships to the DNAD course. And so I said, you know what, why don't I just have one of the students come live with me for free for a year so they can go to the college. So I've got a young girl who, um, Megan Egan from Birmingham, um, and she started college today and she moved in on Sunday and she wants to be an art director. And I'm just really excited about giving her an opportunity. You know, it's, it's, I'm just helping in a small way. That's hopefully going to set her up for a great career in future. That's a fantastic story. Yeah, it's incredible. Really it's, brilliant. It's ridiculous, actually. <laughs> no, it's amazing. Well, it, it's, 
I feel a bit guilty because it does give me a lot of pleasure too. Yeah, right. You know, so um, also but... you're just basically grooming everyone from the ground up, and I and <laughs> can't match that. I don't then have I'll a... start yeah, my yeah, empire. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's really good. Talking of diversity, which obviously is a big and extremely important subject in our industry now, Nils has launched with two female partners, which is brilliant to to see. Rosie, you started at PBH when you were you were a child prodigy. I think you must have been. So you were there <laughs> more than three decades. So you you were probably at kindergarten when yeah, you started. Kind of, yeah, was, um, but do you think things have changed dramatically for women um, over that time? Sadly, not. I still don't see enough females coming into creative departments. Um, it, what I found quite interesting is I found Judy Smith, uh, who was an art director at CDP, um, when I first was at art school looking into the industry. And I really think having her as a role model encouraged me to go into the industry. I didn't see it as just a male domain. And I noticed that you know, at BBH, when I was there and Caroline was there, we got a lot of female talent in. Now AMV... They've been fantastically proactive, you know, outside me, but about getting more female talent in, and that's that's shifted quite a bit. So I think role models do matter, and I do think they make you feel that it's an okay place for you to be, whatever walk of life you come from. Mm. I know, Nils, when you were at Grey, pushing the diversity agenda was a really important part of of your leadership there. Um, How are you going to translate that into your, your work at Uncommon? This is quite pokey, I suppose, but I think there's a lot of talk about it. And I know that talking about it is better than not talking about it, but I think there's too much talk and not enough doing. And what I mean by that is it's not really difficult at all, actually. And I don't think there's enough people coming in. I agree, Rosie, but I also think there are some remarkably talented women in the industry, in all disciplines, by the way, who just don't land the right jobs. And I think uh, you've got to know the percentages in your agencies. You've got to know that stuff now if you're running a company. I'm sorry, you do. You have to be aware of it and ask yourself what it adds. And at Grey, it made us, I think... Um, one of the best agencies in London for two to three years. There's no doubt about it. So we're just taking that further. We've written a little thing uh, we've called the uncontract, I guess, but it's, it's to remind us not to become twats when we're busy, basically. But, you know, the school run beats most pre-prods, hands down. So let's yeah. just work around it. It's not hard. You just have to be salient of it and make different decisions. It's um, interesting because, and, and I cannot take any credit here, it's Alex and Adrian and um, uh, Ian Pierman who introduced a new sort of... Uh, idea in MV about actually actively trying to welcome back uh, talent that had left the industry to have children and just look at what does this mean for somebody returning who's got children so school runs the hours everything and you know they came up with an idea that you only have to work for half a day in the office Mm. and that was really just it's up to you it's up to you whether you want to work at nine o'clock at night because you've put the kids to bed and let's just see how that works so they're actively um, sort of trying to find talent now. I think it's sorry I mean I just think it's achievement not endurance isn't it and I think that's the thing we're all getting our heads around and actually some of the best talent I know can nail it in three hours and you don't need all the faff I don't need you rolling in at 10 eating bacon or at six at night opening beers just smash it. But the truth is we work in an industry where the revenue model is based on charging by the hour um, and it's a client servicing business how do you get your heads around that as a person running a company in this industry? clients need the people at the end of the phone whenever they need them? Uh, well, that's different to charging by the hour, but charging by the hour is a problem. You know, we're trying to... Natalie's brilliantly come up with faff tax, which is this, <laughs> this idea... This is Neil's 
co-founder. Sorry, yeah, um, uh, which is this idea that actually a lot of us get paid to do the dance. We don't get paid for our output. Yeah. And if you stop and you view yourself like a studio or a production company or, in fact, any, any other business, Hollywood, for instance, they come together around a project and they're paid around creating something, actually putting something out into the world, and that's how you get paid. Uh, we want to be paid for that. Now, we don't mind how we're going to get paid, and we're not going to tell you there's a massive new mechanic or anything like that, a variety of different ways. But the truth is, if you're not paid for your output, then you will at some point be doing the dance. And I think that's a problem. That doesn't, by the way, mean you're not committed or on the phone or available or any of that stuff. Yeah. It's just a very, very different view of it, a far more healthy view of it, far yeah. less dependent view of it, frankly. So those two things can coexist quite happily, you think, Rosie? The lifestyle shifts that people are now demanding and being on call whenever a client... Yeah, I mean, we, we live in a modern world. We've got email, we've yeah. got phones, we, we've got, you know... Um, I've got, we've, got, we've got Skype, that's what we've got. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we, I, I do quite a lot of work with America and that, you know, I don't have to be looking at them and I don't have to, you know, we constantly were in touch with each other and it was fine. Yeah. I know, Nils, one of your, the ways that you're working at Uncommon is to have uh, a network of affiliate yep. people around the world who dial in and out depending on the projects you have. It's not necessarily just about being a parent, is it? It's about having this sort of another thing that you feel passionate about that you want to spend some time doing. That's it. I think it's all of it, really, which is also when you're really good at what you do, which we're trying to, the people we're trying to appeal to are, you realise you don't have to play by anyone else's rules. You don't have to work the eight or 10 hour, 12 hour days. You know, and some of the best people, particularly strategically, actually, have found that they have far more fun and actually make loads more money when they don't do that. And the weirdness is, in, creatively, Rosie, I don't know if you find this, I think there's a problem with the word freelance, right? It's become a dirty word. Mm. Similarly, permanent. What does that mean? Like, we own your brain and farm you out. So somewhere in the middle is where you've got to be, and there isn't a clever thing, but you've just got to be far more fluid around it. I mean, it's, I've, something I'm really fascinated about, just looking at the new generation coming up, is how they all have so many things they want to do. They don't want to be like me in one job for the mm. rest of their life. They want to do lots of different things. So you might be an artist, you might be a musician, and they're much more interested in doing that than having one particular focus so that's that's our thing so we have a day called fridays or for us is the thing that we've done and every friday we're going to commit to working on our own brands our own products our own passions we think that's really motivating to a bunch of people like that so hopefully what they get to do is that stuff but within an environment where they're also supported someone this morning said though oh you know well what happens when a client says to you, yeah okay but i need you to work friday and actually my gut reaction was mm, sort of ask them why yeah. Why do we need to have that conversation immediately? Yeah. Why can't we talk about the output again? And all those conversations that we keep mm. having are based on the wrong stuff, right? Well, it might help. I don't work Fridays. And, you know, sometimes there is something that you absolutely have to go in for. But I think if you set the ground rules immediately and go, that day we are doing something else, people will respect yeah. it. You know, so. so do you have a side hustle, Rosie? What do you do on your days? My, <laughs> um, I'm kind of rather passionate about art and sculpture. So I've just signed up to do, I'm very excited, a bronze casting course. So I'm going to go off and do that. And it's just something I do for fun. But, you know. You should be straight in the Saatchi in about yeah. a month, <laughs> driving everyone mad. <laughs> So, but Nils, I know you, you um, spent some of your time um, in the garden and uh, during your non-compete period launching a coffee brand. Yeah. So you are actually now already a legitimate yeah. brand owner. You have some yeah. equity in that. Yeah. Again, agencies are so dependent on clients for so much stuff, for our briefs, for permission to make the things that we love, all that other stuff. And it dawned on me that, you know, in a pitch, essentially what you do is you have a fantasy for a brand as it should be. And then you try and drag the reality of that brand to the fantasy. And half the time that doesn't happen and whatever. And I'm like, well, why don't we just keep that fantasy in our minds and where appropriate, just go and make it. And then it changes everything so that we're all obsessed with exits, right? 
we'd be far less obsessed with exits if we had 20 plates spinning. You know, what's the exit? The agency or Halo or five other brands? You know, or the product you look... And I think that we'd be far less dependent on all of it if we were that way. That still makes it sound like the motivation is making a lot of money, though. I think that's a motivation to everybody, frankly, that's drawn. I think creatives in particular, honestly, I think are so bad at talking about money, myself included, but I think that money has to be a part of it. We all want to live well. We want to believe that our art and our passions can reward us. And I think they can, but I guess I'm saying that whenever people talk about a side hustle, it's because they want control and they want to believe that something should exist in the world. And I don't think you have to do that after six at night. Yeah. But Rosie, I don't think you're still in this industry after three plus decades because <laughs> it's not about the money for you, is it? No, it's, no. Uh, tell us what... what, what why I, do you I, go up and go to work at Abbott Mead with a spring in your step? Because I know that you do. I'm still massively excited by ideas. Any ideas. I'm not sort of specific to one particular medium. In fact, I was thinking as you were saying that, um, that I'd been working on a project with a friend outside AMV to do something which I really, really want to do. And it's not about making money. It's because I think it should exist in the world. And um, I would really miss that. So what's the most satisfying thing that you've, you've done at Abbott Mead in the last... You've been there just over a year yeah. now, haven't you? I really loved, I was involved with um, a young girl team who worked on the Braille poster for Maltesers. So we mm. did a sort of 3D poster where the Maltesers actually were Braille bumps. So that was a fun project. And that was AMV working so brilliantly because the girls came to me with that idea in December and we needed to get it out on the 4th of January because that's International Braille Day, and to actually find the site and create the poster and manage to turn that around. There's a wonderful um, account lady called Philippa Field, who, who's just a genius, and she managed to do that. And that was one of those things where everybody worked so well together to make it happen, and that was so exciting. No? <laughs> Nils is taking notes here. <laughs> Philippa Field. I didn't say that, I didn't say that. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you the name of the girl team either. <laughs> so joking. <laughs> Sorry. Nils, you mentioned earlier about um, the rise of ad-blocking software yeah. and there is a really strong signal coming through that an awful lot of what our industry produces yeah. is not wanted by the people it's aimed at. I mean, as creatives, what message does that send to you and how do you react to that? How do you up your game to counter that sort of sentiment? Well, it's interesting. I think when I was young, when I was young, we all used to mimic the ads that we saw and we'd run around the playground doing the Cresta, it's Frathy Man and we loved it and you'd get into a cab and everybody would say, oh the ads are better than the programmes and people would be excited by me saying I was in the advertising industry but when you went to America you were a second class citizen, nobody was interested in you doing advertising and you got the feeling that people hated advertising and I feel that's happened now and my belief is that we can really redress that because when there's a good ad out there, everybody gets excited mm. about it. And advertising on TV is still massively influential. People still watch it, despite all the kind of rumours that TV is dead. There's all sorts of facts and figures that show it's still the most influential advertising medium and it still reaches a huge number of people. But I think we have to be more entertaining. And I also think um, another passion of mine is that we have the opportunity to affect society and make world a better place. And by that I mean, let's unstereotype our ads. Mm. And I fall into the trap myself, so I constantly have to remind myself when I'm casting, you know, in a car when it's a family driving, does it have to be the man driving the car? Does it have to be a woman putting the food on the table? Does it have to be a little boy playing football? Do they all have to be white middle class? Do they have to be straight? And I just want to sort of wake us all up to that 
it's a powerful tool that we all have, and so we can do some good with our advertising. And we also have to make it entertaining. We have to have people loving the work and talking about it again. And it's not obviously just about commercials or, no. or even advertising as we know it these days. Um, Neil, tell me about the sort of work you imagine doing at Uncommon and how you're going to cut through this uh, malaise against advertising. Uh, well, first of all, I think there's a sense that actually previously you would be going to speeches at brilliant things like DNAD or whatever and people would be saying, be more creative, try some different stuff. You know, but around the birth of digital, do you remember that? Everyone was going, oh, my God. I don't think you need to even listen to those now because I think your point about ad blocking and software and that button, you have, like, complete freedom. It's the best our industry's ever been because you have complete freedom. You can't fuck it up. Fucking it up is honestly carrying on like it is and hoping that someone will watch our ads. Now, I agree that there's more entertaining versions of our ads. I think we need to take the gloves off full stop. We used to be dangerous as an industry and, and we used to challenge and we used to make the papers and we used to be, oh, my God, they did what? Yeah. We're really not anymore. Yeah. We need to be like 100 years past that. But and is, it, that, is that because, <clears throat> this is cliche, but when I ask agencies why is so much work so bland, often the client gets the blame. They won't take the risks. They, they just want to keep their heads down. Okay. And... If you're behaving within the confines of advertising as we know it and you ask a client to be brave, they've never had more data that says don't be. So they've got stuff around audience, online and offline. They've got habits. They've got demographics. They've got more data. So if a client sat there going, I'll tell you what, I want to chuck all that in a bin and I want to do a condition zone or I want to do a life pain, that's incredibly hard to justify now. So you really do have to get into a partnership with the brand leaders, with the companies, the people pushing that forward and say to them, there's not data to prove that the better way is to do this stuff. There isn't. But I really want you to trust us on it and, and really come with us and we will try our best to set this stuff spinning in a so different way. I can see that working if your client is an entrepreneur yep. or the CEO, but we know agencies so infrequently are able to operate at that level. Well, well, they are, but also I don't buy that either. I think there's an education job and you show me a CMO that isn't sat there right now in, in most brands going, I know we need change, I just need help to get there. Everyone I've met, there's no... You know, the, oh, just all this ad stuff, you know, the client and they're so average and they don't care and they're not ambitious. Of course they are. But look where they work. Look at the institutions they're in. Look at the politics that are there. So it's our job to, to, to help. Yeah, sort of take I, them like, I mean, but I also think it feels as if we are, as you say, in the most exciting time and we can do things in a way that's so fresh and different and touch people in very real different ways. I get most excited now about things which don't necessarily touch conventional media so that one of the things I loved the most, which was years ago, and it was a campaign in Brazil um, to get more people to be um, organ donors. And I don't know if you remember it, it was the mad eccentric millionaire who said he was going to bury his Rolls Royce, which was 500 grand, because he was going to have a burial like a, an Egyptian pharaoh. And the newspapers went mad and everybody was like, this is outrageous, there's child poverty. And the day came and he dug a big hole in his front garden and all the press were there and helicopters were flying. And then he took them into the living room and said, I'm not going to do that. But every time you die and you don't leave your organs, mm. um, you are burying 500 yeah. grand. It was fantastic. Mm. And that was an advertising agency. But I, but, so the stuff I loved was for Boost Mobile. Did you see that stuff? Mm. Where they turn, so Boost Mobile, which most of us won't be aware of, is like a properly slightly dirty mobile network provider in lots of sort of ghettoized areas, not high cost, you know, it's really low cost. And they basically around the US election turned their stores into voting stations. My favourite part of the entire presentation of the work was this form that said, where are you voting? Library, school hall, boost mobile store. I was like, that's massive. Wow. And I look at that and go to your point, or all of our points around, how do I 
create some advertising? How do I make the brand famous? How do I get people through the door? But how do I also add to the world and its conversation? That's a really good example. But we're sort of hooked, aren't we, on this this idea that every year you have to progress, you have to get a, a pay rise and a promotion. And mm. actually, Rosie, you took a really brave decision, I think, to when you left BBH, you took the head of art position at Abbott Mead rather than going, actually, I want to be top dog, get my name above the door somewhere. You, you concentrated on doing what you actually love. And yeah. that, that in the context of this, that's quite a, a bold move. Thank you for that. But I, I did feel I was letting women down a bit because I did, you know, really wrestle with myself about what I should be doing as taking a CCO role because there aren't enough women up there doing it. And then I was just like, well... I've actually got to do something that I enjoy and love doing and, you know, want to get up for in the morning rather than something I feel I should. Yeah. Um, I hope that that's empowering for women rather than feeling that they have to do something they don't necessarily want to do because it's, you know, it makes them look more important or they've got a bigger title or more money. So for me, you know, my mother always used to say to me, you get used to money very quickly, but actually it's what you're doing every day that counts and that's why I chose that. And I, I really appreciate you noticing that because I did feel, I did feel guilty because I've tried to do everything I can in my career to encourage women. But I just think I got to a point where I was like, that's what I want to do. Mm. Oh, I think it's not a gender issue particularly, is it? I think it's a really positive message to send out that, you know, you don't always have to be aiming to be uh, CEO or the CCO or the CSO, that actually... Carrying on being brilliant at what you do is is absolutely fine. And you've had a, I mean, having launched your agency, obviously, but you've had a weird year, haven't you, Nils? Because you've been, well, serving out your notice period and then doing your non-compete and, and sort of trying to extricate yourself from that. What have you learned about yourself over the last 12 months? I've learned more in the last 12 months than I learned in the last five years. Professionally, about starting a company, equity... Funding, businesses, people, more just distance really has been really, really helpful. So helpful. You know, someone said to me, oh, you should go and give Martin a cuddle because if you could have started a day later, you'd have opened grade two. Mm. Um, and they, may, they might be right. But I, I think um, that you honestly, genuinely, just like Rosie was saying, it's not about money at all, but it is about getting paid for what you love. And that's the rarest thing in the world is to really love what you do and then find a way for it to be your life because you can get rewarded for it. And I realised a load of stuff I didn't love. And that was uh, quite revealing because I'm an ambitious knob and chased the job and the titles and wanted to do that um, and realised actually I didn't love a lot of that and that you don't have to do a lot of that. That's just the way it was there. Mm. So so if we were both, all three of us, sitting here in 12 months' time, what would you hope that you could look back on? I feel that Niels is saying these wonderful, big, expansive um, answers and I'm going, oh, there's a few projects I really love and I really want to get off the ground and I'm incredibly excited <laughs> about, which is kind of small term, but really that's kind of... Um, I would love to see the whole industry making a difference in terms of diversity. I'd love to have a, a broader mix of people in the industry. Yeah, I, it's probably pretty unambitious, un really. But that's, that's a big yeah. ambition, but a brilliant and important one. Niels, what about you? That I've not folded, that we've not folded on our principles, that we've not on Fridays just started doing adverts for people, that we remain loose and open and trusting of the people we work with and that we've worked with a bunch of clients that we really do align with their values and haven't just gone, yeah, all right, 
So we have to make a date, 12 months' time. Okay. We'll be back. We'll come and do another podcast and we'll check up on that. Um, thank you so much. Thank you to my guests, Niels Leonard, the founder of Uncommon, and Rosie Arnold, head of art at Abbott Mivica's BBDO. This has been the campaign podcast powered by something else. Thank you to my producer, the wonderful Miranda Hinckley. Please join me again next month when we'll be talking about the future of work.